We started a sermon series a few weeks ago entitled Marvel out of the Gospel of Mark. And in this sermon series, as we study through this book over the next few months, you will see that it is a marvelous book. Uh, Marvel Comics uh, were the ones that came up with the superheroes that we still talk about today, 70 years after Marvel Comics invented many of them. The greatest hero of all time was Jesus Christ. And in this gospel written by John Mark, I think we will see a lot of things, hopefully, that will bring us to marvel and to praise him. This morning, we are talking out of Mark chapter 1, and we're going to talk about getting a call. How many of you like getting calls? God, nobody? Nobody. Look, look at me, those in front. Do you like getting a text message? Is that, that's better. Okay. Same thing. God can text as well as call, can't he? Yes, God can do anything he wants to, so he certainly can. You know, I grew up in the era where you got phone calls. Texting is relatively new. And, and young people, this is hard to believe, but there was actually a time when people called you and you did not know who it was. It was terrible, wasn't it? I mean, there wasn't caller ID. And if you were, even before you had the, the, the answering machine, I mean, you had to pick up the phone, didn't you? You, you had to answer. Now, you can, you can certainly you can wade through who you answer and who you don't answer. Our, at our home phone, the caller ID shows up on the television. So if we're sitting there watching football and, and it, it, the phone rings and it says, Wayne Bridges, we'll say, well, we'll call him later. We'll get that later. Just like he does when he sees it on mine. I've been in people's homes where they have a, a uh, automated or an audio voicemail where the phone will ring and it'll say, so-and-so is calling, and of course, it gives them the same chance to duck the call or the answer the call. Mark chapter 1, let me tell you who's calling this morning, or maybe for our younger people who is texting this morning, is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ walked by a lake, walked by a little sea 2,000 years ago calling some guys, and he's who's calling you today. And I want to tell you, a very importantly, well, let's look at two fundamental things that Jesus wants today as he rings your number. Number one, he wants your life. I thought, oh my goodness, maybe he wanted just a few dollars or maybe he wanted me to sign a list to bring some ice cream to the fellowship in a few weeks. No, Jesus Christ is calling. He doesn't hide it or block it on your caller ID. On your text message or your email, it comes through who it is. And he's also very clear about what he wants. He wants you and he wants me. In verse 14 and 15, it says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus is starting his ministry in his home region of Galilee. Let me just show you. We have a little map here, and I've got my little red dot. I'll dot you. In Jesus' day... This is what Israel looked like. Galilee was a northern section. Samaria was kind of the enemy of the Jews. And then Judea was the southern part of uh, Palestine in Jesus' day. Jesus is up here in Galilee. In fact, he's fixing to be right there at the Sea of Galilee. And what he says here to you and me, it's easily to be missed. In verse 15, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. This was not missed by the Jewish people at all. The Bible was originally written, New Testament was written in Greek, and they had two words for our one word, time. One word was like chronological time, like Tuesday the first, Wednesday the second, so on, so on. 
The other word meant a period or a duration of time. And the word he used here means a period or duration of time. He says, the kingdom of God is near. Now, to the Jewish people, this was exactly what they wanted to hear. This is what they've been waiting for, that the long-awaited promised Messiah is kicking off his ministry. And they thought, wow, he's going to come in. He's going to overthrow the Romans. Everything's going to be great. We're going to have a perfect world. That's not exactly what he meant. But he was telling them the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, what did that mean? The kingdom of God means God's rule and God's reign. If you've read much of the Bible or you heard Bible studies about the end of times, ultimately the kingdom of God will come in perfection when Jesus Christ comes and settles the score once and for all and makes everything right. But what we found out 2,000 years ago in Palestine, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is coming upon you now. And when you surrender your hearts to God's rule and His reign, the kingdom of God comes to live in your heart. It's not only futuristic, but it's present. It's not an either-or. It's a both-and. And what a tremendous thing. What, what, what does this mean? It means that God was revealing himself to mankind through Jesus Christ. He was busting into history. And he was saying, here, you want to see what God looks like? Here he is. It's, it's Jesus Christ. You've been waiting on a Messiah, a deliverer, a Savior. He is here is what Jesus said. And this had to excite them. I hope it excites us when we understand what he was saying. And, you know, what what he tells them is he said, how do you find the kingdom of God? You change your hearts. You change your mind. You change your ways. You repent. And you believe. And you get behind me. And you follow me. We see this played out pretty well in verse 16 through 20. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Jesus said, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets without delay. Again, immediately, this word's found or phrased 46 times in this little book. He called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed Jesus. The Sea of Galilee, this is one of the famous spots in the New Testament. It's also called the Lake of Gennesaret or the Sea of Tiberias, depending on on uh, the different places in the Bible. It's called by those different names. It really was a a huge inland lake. It was 14 miles long. It was six miles wide. And in its deepest point, it was 150 feet deep. It was a beautiful, wonderful lake. We've got a a little picture of the Sea of Galilee. And and this is uh, still, that's today. It was beautiful then. It's beautiful now. And and this is a place where Jesus Christ did a whole lot of his ministry that we're going to see in Mark. Here's what happened. These fishermen... They're going about their regular business. They didn't get up that morning and say, you know what? Today, we're going to bump into God and our lives are going to be changed. In fact, here's a really cool thing. They weren't looking for him at all that day. He was looking for them. 
You know, I hope you're, I hope you're seeking God. And many of you, by being here this morning, you are, you are on some kind of a quest or search to seek and to know God. Do, do, do you young people, you ever heard of the, everybody's heard of the Beatles, the rock group, the Beatles. George Harrison, he's dead now, but he was one of the Beatles. Before he died in Rolling Stone magazine, he was asked, George, what have you been up to these days? And he said this. He said, I've been on a search for God. Everything can wait in life but the the search for God. And I hope that someone helped George find God through Jesus Christ before he died. I want to tell you something this morning that's unbelievable. God is searching for you this morning. You know, we're here today. And many of you thank God you're here week in and week out. But have you ever really thought about this, that God is looking for you this morning? Now, you have to be awake. You have to pay attention to get this for sure. But God is searching for you. You know, in our world, high school students, if they're a great athlete, they're going to have colleges searching and recruiting them. If they're a great student or they do well on the test or, or they're a great musician, they may be recruited by, by people, by universities. The problem is most of us aren't that great, are we? Are we? No, you're not. Most of you don't run a 40-yard dash in 4.3 seconds, and most of you didn't make straight A's from kindergarten through your senior year in high school. Am, am, are you with me? Most of us don't get highly recruited. Some of you have. Most of us don't. Here's the great news this morning. God's looking for you, period. No matter how fast you are, no matter how smart you are, God's looking for you this morning. He's recruiting you. And he's saying this, I want you to put everything behind or secondary to me and follow me. I'm calling you today, and here's what I want. I want your life. Let me give you two things this means practically for you and me. Number one, it's it's salvation. It is talking about salvation. Most scholars believe this was not James and uh, or Peter and Andrew's first encounter with Jesus, probably James or John's either. That in other words, that they had had an encounter in the past where they had found Christ. This is a second encounter. We'll see more in a moment. But here's the first step, folks, is that when Jesus calls your name, the first thing you have to do is give your life to him. And a lot of people are missing that. See, a lot of people are good Baptists, good Methodists, good Pentecostal, good Catholic, good uh, Presbyterian, and that's all fine and dandy. But none of that gets you to God. Becoming a Christian is the simplest thing and the hardest thing that there is. How is it simple? It's simple because what, what you do is you give your life to Jesus Christ. You know why it's hard? Because you give your life to Christ. You see, some of you here this morning aren't Christians and you're flirting with God. You've been flirting with God. You, you, you like to talk about Him. You, you don't mind hearing people discuss Him. You'll debate about Him. You'll ponder a commitment to him. Maybe you've even been sprinkled or baptized in the past, but you have never made that full commitment to Christ. That's the first thing he wants when he wants your life. But it doesn't end there for us Christians. You see, this call for Peter and Andrew and James and John, like for many of us here today, is a call to full and complete commitment of our lives to Jesus Christ. See, Christian, when Jesus walked by that lake that day, what he wanted from them and what he wants from us is he wants us completely. 
Verse 17 and 18, come follow me, Jesus said. I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and they followed him. You see, if you are a Christian today, and no doubt many of you are Christians today, you have given your life to Christ. Here's the problem. Most of us, through a process of time, we slowly and surely take our lives back, don't we? We get calloused, we get cold, we've heard that, we've sang that, we've done that, and and yada, 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 a little arrogance, a little pride in there, and we move a long way from God. Following Christ is a one-time thing, and it's a lifetime thing. In Luke 9, 23, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross when he's eight or nine years old, never worry with it again, and follow me. That's not what it says. It says, and daily follow me. I want to ask you today, if you are a Christian this morning, how much of God, how much of you does God have? Really and truly, how much does God have? You know, most of us, a lot of us as Christians, we're flirting with God this morning. We like the God talk. We disapprove of bad behavior. We talk about or judge people who we think do bad things. But does God really have every bit of us there is to have? I saw this this week and I wanted to read it to you. It was talking about Christians and about most of us. It said, what we really want is about $3 worth of God. We don't want enough of God to explode our soul or to disturb our sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. We don't want enough of Him to make us love someone of a different color or to go out and pick vegetables with a migrant. We want ecstasy, not transformation. We want the warmth of a tomb, not the transformation of a new birth. We want a pound of eternity in a paper sack. When it gets right down to it, most of us want $3 worth of God. Jesus walked by that lake, young people, old people, and in-between people. He said, I want you. Follow me. That's what he's saying to you this morning. Oh, 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 here's what a lot of us do too. I used to be committed. I love having, and I hate having those conversations with people, especially when people really think that that is impressive. I used to really do this and this and this for the church and for God. Does that matter? Well, that was great then. I'm sure in 1962, you were rattling the roof around here. But that doesn't get it today. By the way, the Bible, over and over, Jesus rebukes people who talk about what they used to do and who aren't doing it anymore. How much of God, how much of you does God have this morning? I want to read you something else a friend of mine sent this week. It's pretty staggering. It was talking about persecution of Christians throughout the world. Now, these stats are hard to come by because it's, it's, not, like, it's not like Iran sends out to the Associated Press every week, hey, we killed 20 Christians today. Now, you know, so these are, these are hard to come by. So they're estimates, but it's estimated 500,000 people, half a million people are in prison today throughout our world because they're Christians. Half a million. It's believed every day in our world 800 people are put to death because they're followers of Jesus Christ. About 100 million, 100 million Christians live in countries that are hostile to the gospel. In fact, 
On this day, on this Sunday, about 150 church services will be broken up by ruthless government thugs. We know that some interpretations of Islam call for the utter elimination of Christianity and Judaism, and some of our Christian brothers have to watch their back 24-7 in some of those countries. But yet here in America, outside of your own salvation, one of the greatest things we have is we live in a country we are free to worship. Very few of us will ever be put in prison or executed because we follow Jesus Christ. But how does the average American professing Christian respond to this? This is staggering too. In a typical year in America, people who profess to be Christians, 66% of them never come to church one time. 80% never give a dime to their church. And 98% will not endeavor to share Jesus with one person this year. And the guy goes on and asks the question, how do you think the person in prison today in a foreign country because they followed Christ could relate to the average American Christian? I want to tell you, they'd be sick. What does God want? He wants, he wants you. And the greatest thing and the most wonderful thing you can give him is you. Let me tell you a second thing God wants this morning. What he wants this morning is he wants to make you an eternal difference maker. God wants to take your life, he wants to take my life, and he wants to do something absolutely wonderful through it. I'm not going to read the whole thing again, but in verse 16 through 20, Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he says to these fishermen, he says, come and follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. He says that to Andrew and Peter, and he says that to James and John. Now, it's interesting, the Sea of Galilee, where this took place, around there is, in Jesus' day, were about 30 little towns or villages, and the primary industry was fishing. And the kind of fishing these commercial fishermen did is they would take a net that was 10 to 15 feet in diameter, they would row their boat or try to catch some wind to go out into the the sea. They would throw it out, and then they would, hopefully it engulfs a bunch of fish. They would draw the net to capture them, and then they would have to drag them back uh, onto the boat. So these are rough and tough men. These are not sissies. These are rough and tough guys. And he says, I want to make you a fisher of men. That's what he says to you and me this morning. This wasn't just them. I want to make you fishers of men, but what does he mean? I read a story several years ago that, that happened in a river in Norway. One man was fishing. The river was moving fast. They were fishing for salmon, and he looks upstream. Coming towards him is a man in the water. All he can see is his hat and the tip of his boots. And this older, experienced fisherman knows that if someone doesn't rescue this guy who had fallen in the river, he is going to be swept out to dangerous water, and he's going to die. So he runs ahead. He gets on the bridge. He gets his fishing pole. He casts his lure, and he literally catches the guy in the rubber boot. And he reels the 250-pound man to shore, and he saves his life. That's a fisher of men, correct? Correct. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. Here's what he's talking about, guys. And this ought to excite you. He's saying this. If you have found Jesus as your Savior, he said, I want to take your life and I want to make your life 
the kind of life that brings other people to Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian today, how many of you believe you've got something other people need? You believe that? See, maybe we don't. Maybe you're not really a Christian. Maybe you don't really believe that. You have something other people want. How many of you know the name Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield? You know those guys? Wouldn't you like to get in the ring with those guys? I wouldn't want to be a referee, especially during that fight. These guys fought twice. The second fight is the infamous one or the famous one. Do you know what Mike Tyson did to Evander Holyfield not once but twice during this bout? He bit off pieces of his ear. Normally, you know, that is not part of boxing. Y'all know that, don't you? Good jab to left, good jab to right, bite a piece of left ear, jab, jab, right ear. No. In fact, the second time some ear came off, the referee stopped the fight and gave the win to Holyfield. After it was all said and done, a hotel worker comes to Evander Holyfield's manager and he says, I think I have something that you may want. What do you have that we may want? I have a piece of your fighter's ear. You know, if someone, if you get a piece of your ear bit off, you want it back, don't you? That's something you need. I do. Staple it on, do something. Let's get that ear, glue it, get it back on. You know, I hope you never have to deliver someone's ear to them. But I want to tell you, you've got something even greater than that. You've got Jesus Christ, if you've got Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 through 20. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, bringing others to Christ, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sin against them, as he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore God's ambassador. We've seen in the last few weeks an amb- a U.S. ambassador in Libya who was killed, so you're familiar with that term ambassador. An ambassador is someone who represents a king or a country in a foreign land. Folks, as a Christian, you are, your home is heaven, and you are Christ's ambassador here on this earth. Did you know that? That's what the Bible says. And it's though God, listen, as God was making his appeal through us, we beg you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Listen, here's what God is saying. God is saying, if I saved you and you really belong to me, I, here's the second thing I want after your life. I want to take your life and I want to use you to make an eternal difference in the lives of other people. That ought to fire you up. You go, well, God can't use me. I'm too sinful. My past is too bad. I'm not smart enough. Folks, Andrew and Peter, James and John were probably not rocket scientists. And later, Jesus calls James and John the sons of thunders. Let me translate that in a very politically correct way. Uh, What that meant, it meant Hades razors. You get my drift? Do you get my drift? They were some wild childs. Uh, We don't know a lot about Andrew, but Peter, we know Peter knew how to to cuss. Peter got mad even after he followed Jesus three years and he chops a guy's ear off. These are rough people, rough guys. Jesus bumps into prostitutes and he he takes their lives and he makes them eternal difference makers. He bumps into a woman who had been married five times who was living with somebody at the time. She gets saved. She gives him his life. And within a day, she is bringing flocks of people to Jesus Christ. There was a guy named Saul who hated Christians. 
who persecuted churches, shut them down. And he got... He gave his life to Jesus, and Jesus took his life, and he became an eternal difference maker. Listen, the only reason you won't be an eternal difference maker is you won't let God do it through you. That's the only reason. God wants to take your life and use it to turn your world upside down. Now, what does that mean? Let me give you two practical thoughts. One, it it may mean a change of vocation for some of you. Andrew and Peter, James and John are fishermen. James and John's family apparently had some money. Had hired men working for them. And Jesus said, I want you to follow me. And by the way, following me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And and here's the second, third part of that. Guys, you're not going to be fishermen anymore. You're going to be preachers and missionaries and evangelists. I'm changing your career mid-course. Young people, man, hear me on this. You start seeking God right now what he wants to do with your life. You go to college, you go to graduate school based on one thing. What does God want me to do? Some of you are 20, 30, 40, 50, and you're established in a career. And you follow God, you know what? If you're going to really follow God, he may move you in a totally different direction. Oh, preacher, I can't do that. Yes, you can. How can you afford to stay where you are if God wants you somewhere else? Well, God may make me go to China or Japan or where. He sure may. You'll be happier there than you will living next door to your mama in Ruston if you're out of God's will. God may call me to be a preacher. God forbid. Yes, he may. He may call you to be a youth minister. You can look at Josh and me and say, if he can use us, he can use you. That's right. Some of you, God may be calling you for a radical career change. Some of you young people, you got your mind set on what you're going to do. God may completely alter that. And you know what? It'll be the greatest ride you can ever go on. But here's the second thing. Some of you, it's not a change of career. It's just what God's going to do. It's going to be a radical change of direction in your vocation. In other words, a lot of people, a lot of people, God may say, you're a housewife, and I want you being a housewife. You're a businessman, or you're a professor, or you're a doctor, or a lawyer, or, or you're a forester, or you're a coach, or a teacher, and you're exactly where God wants you to be. Except God wants you to do something radically different in your work. Instead of pursuing the dollar or the next level up, what God wants you to do is to pursue people. Don't look at them as just a patient or a client. Look at them as somebody that you can impact for eternity. I want to read to you some, one last thing that I saw this week that I thought was so good about our jobs. This would apply if you're in school too. God's not calling us first and foremost to make money. He's calling us to make a difference. So that's why some of us will never shift gears because we're too busy chasing George Washington instead of Jesus Christ. God's not calling you, number one, to make a name for yourself. He's calling you to proclaim his name. God's not calling you first and foremost to be comfortable. See, here's a problem many of us have in an in a upper middle class environment. We're comfortable. 
God's not calling you to be comfortable. God's calling you to be radically effective for him. And the last thing is God's not calling you to temporary success, but God's calling you to impact the lives of of others forever. Notice again, God didn't say you'll become a fisher of men. God said, I will make you a fisher of men when you follow me. Now, folks, there's no problem with a cell tower. You're not in a low spot right now. It's not a matter of, can you hear me now? God's coming through plain and perfect. He's speaking to you, and he's telling you two fundamental things. I want your life, and I want to take your life, and I want it to impact other people forever. The question is, will we hear the call and will we respond to it? Let's pray. If you're a Christian right now, what are those two questions? What's God saying to your heart? Does God really have you and are you trying and seeking to make an eternal difference in the lives of others? Some of us here this morning, we're not Christians. Right now, where you're seated, would you pray with me and give your life to Christ? Would you just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. I believe you're God's son who died and arose for me. Come into my heart, Jesus. And today, I give you my life. Let me have your attention just for a moment. We're going to stand and sing. But more importantly than that, we're going to respond to Christ. Maybe you just prayed and asked Jesus in your heart. Will you come? Or maybe you didn't, but you're ready to. Would you come and talk to a minister? Let them help you with that decision. Would you cross that line with Jesus today? Maybe you'd like to join our church fellowship this morning. We would love for you to do that. One way you can is by simply stepping out and coming and talking to one of our people down here. Christian, maybe this morning God's spoken to your heart and the truth is He doesn't have very much of you anymore. And you want to say to Him today, God, I'm re-giving everything back to you. And you need to say to God afresh, God, take my life and use it to make a difference in the lives of others forever. Christian, where you're standing or at the altar, say that to God. Let's stand and you respond now as God leads you.